The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Breaking news. Authorities in the Bahamas arresting disgraced FTX founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. He now faces a possible fight against extradition in what could be the most important financial crime trial in years. On Wall Street, we get the latest read on inflation. Gasoline prices, they're down a bit. Other prices, still high. J.P. Morgan lays out what the stock market is likely to do in any scenario. And the Federal Reserve kicking off its final policy meeting of the year and signaling what could maybe be the end of the jumbo rate hiking cycle. Or not. It is Tuesday, December 13th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Tuesday morning. All right, let's jump right in now. We're going to get much more on the Sam Bankman-Fried arrest in just a moment. But before that, let's get a quick check of your Tuesday market stock futures. They are higher. Dow futures up 70. Now, the markets are coming off a big start to the week. All the major averages rallied more than 1% on Monday, maybe hoping for some softer inflation data this morning. By the way, we'll also have more on that data and the market scenarios in just a moment. In the bond market, we're not seeing a big move in yields. That is totally expected ahead of the Fed and the CPI number. Ten-year yields sitting at, what, 3.60%. The bond market could, though, shift if we get any wild shift in inflation data. By the way, ten-year yields sitting exactly where they were back in mid-September. Haven't really moved much in the last couple of months. All right. Oil and gas, it has been moving, mostly down, although yesterday was a rare up day. Oil, of course, been losing steam for months now. Real concerns about a huge potential recession, either for Europe or other parts of the world, that would impact demand. The price of crude oil did pop yesterday. It is up a little bit today to 73.81. Of course, we'll talk more about crypto in a second. So let's show you the prices. Bitcoin, Ether, and others, as you can see, they're moving a little bit higher. Bitcoin back above 17,000. Now, around the world, it was a mixed day of trading overnight in Asia. We did get a little bit of a bid in the Hong Kong market. By the way, Hong Kong, they're announcing another change, maybe in the reopening plan. The Hong Kong authorities are now canceling the three-day contact tracing requirement for new arrivals into Hong Kong. You used to have to do an app, three-day contact tracing. That is now ending Speaking of Europe, let's get a check there. Their trading day is just getting underway, and the European markets are, like our futures, all solidly in the green. All right, now to this morning's top story and breaking news. FTX founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested in the Bahamas late yesterday. This after the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York shared a sealed indictment with Bahamian authorities move, setting the stage for a likely extradition and a U.S. trial. CNBC technology reporter Mackenzie Segalos joining us now to break it all down. She writes a lot about crypto, just got back from a big crypto conference in Africa. All right, Mac, what do we know so far about the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried? 
Hey, good morning, Brian. So this arrest is really the first concrete move by regulators to hold someone accountable for the multi-billion dollar implosion of FTX last month. What we know is that SPF was taken into custody after U.S. authorities filed criminal charges against Bankman-Fried. Now, those exact charges are currently under seal. The U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York said that they would likely unseal that indictment sometime this morning. Several news outlets, including The Wall Street Journal and New York Times, are reporting the charges that they include, among other things, wire fraud, securities fraud, and money laundering. Now, separately, the Securities and Exchange Commission says that it has initiated another set of civil charges against Bankman-Fried relating to violations of securities laws. The SEC says that those charges will also be filed publicly today in the Southern District of New York. Before all of this, we had been expecting testimony from SPF before the House Financial Services Committee during its FTX hearing at 10 a.m. Eastern time today. That's no longer happening. Instead, the Royal Bahamas Police Force says SPF will appear in magistrate court in Nassau. And Brian, that is where we stand right now. Well, it could actually be very good timing for Mr. Bankman Freed. I'll explain why in a few minutes, but, but I'm going to ask you this. Any word on when we could have an extradition when Sam Bankman-Fried could be back on American soil. You know, a lot of that timing depends on how well the U.S. and the Bahamas coordinate on this. And so far, all signs point to the fact that the Bahamian government is cooperating. Because remember, Bankman-Fried hasn't been convicted in the Bahamas yet. He hasn't even been charged in the Bahamas yet. It was U.S. prosecutors who had to secure an arrest warrant and provide sufficient evidence to authorities in the Bahamas that Bankman-Fried had indeed committed a crime. Now, the attorney general in the Bahamas said last night that once a formal request for extradition is made by the U.S., they have every intention of promptly moving the process along. But that extradition process, even when everyone is in agreement, doesn't always move quickly. I spoke with a former federal prosecutor who says that, you know, this can take weeks to complete, in part because we don't know whether SBF will fight extradition. But this attorney also made the point that the Justice Department would not have charged this case unless they were quite confident that they could extradite him. So things are moving along here. All right. He will eventually get to the United States soil. I'm sure there's just some deals they've got to make out, whatever it may be. All right. So once he is back in the United States, Mackenzie, how soon could we be looking at a trial? Are there other legal blowbacks we should be talking about? And oh, yes. What about one Caroline Ellison, his apparent former girlfriend, the runner of the hedge fund? She's not out of the woods yet, but we haven't heard a lot on her side. Yeah. So to your first point, extradition is the first step in a process that could take years to finish. Given the magnitude of Bankman-Fried's alleged crimes, prosecutors and regulators will be pursuing concurrent cases around the world. I spoke to one lawyer who said that a trial in the U.S. may not occur for years because essentially the more that they charge, the bigger the cases, the more time they're going to need to get it all in motion. One person thought that late 2023 was the earliest a trial would occur. <coughs> now, in the meantime, Bankman-Fried is also facing civil action, which could be brought by the SEC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and or state banking and securities regulators, not to mention all those class action suits that have already been filed. So it's a long and convoluted road ahead in terms of legal blowback for Sam Bankman-Fried. And, and to your latter point about Caroline Ellison, you're right, we haven't heard a lot from her on that front as, a, you know, as opposed to her counterpart at FTX. She's been 
pretty silent. And and we there are reports that she's hired, um, you know, a, a top person from the SEC as her counsel. CNBC has not confirmed that, but we'll we'll have to wait and see what she has to say or if she's having other conversations in the background here. Yeah, the reports are she hired Wilmer Hale, which one of the top enforcement law firms in the world and very well known at making deals, by the way. That's kind of their reputation uh, in the legal community. One heck of a story. Mackenzie Segalos, we appreciate it. We'll get more all day. Thank you very much. All right, sticking with crypto and other developing stories this morning, Binance, which is really the world's largest, maybe only now, crypto exchange of size, says it has, quote, temporarily paused withdrawals of a major stablecoin, USDC, while it carries out what they call, quote, a token swap. Now, Changpeng Zhao, who is a CEO of Binance, it goes by CZ, tweeting this morning, the swap comes, the exchange is seeing an increase in withdrawals of that token, USDC. Now, all this move comes as investor concerns grow about Binance's stability following the collapse of rival exchange FTX, which you might have heard about on networks such as ours just now, and a potential criminal investigation. Much more as this, of course, develops, but again, more sort of rumblings on the edges in crypto and with some of these tokens. All right, we're going to get much more on the Bankman-Fried story throughout the hour, the day, of course, and the night here on CNBC. But right now, there's a lot of other stuff going on, and let's get a check on a few of those other headlines with Silvana. And now, good morning, Silvana. Good morning to you, Brian. Yes, we have other headlines to cover. And we're going to start with more COVID zero rollbacks in Asia, where Hong Kong says it's scrapping more of its COVID restrictions that have hamstrung its economy and status as a global financial center. Starting tomorrow, incoming travelers will be allowed to visit restaurants and bars within the first three days of their arrival, and residents there will no longer have to scan tracing app barcodes in order to enter restaurants, bars, and other venues. Twitter is disbanding its Volunteer Trust and Safety Council. This just days after three prominent members of the group resigned over concerns around Elon Musk's leadership. According to a page on Twitter's website, which has now been deleted, the group was created in 2016 in an effort to tackle harassment, suicide prevention, and child exploitation, among other areas on the platform. And shares of First Solar likely to get a boost. The stock joining the S&P 500 starting next week, replacing Fortune Brands Home and Security, which will move to the S&P Midcap 400 Index following a key business spinoff and rebranding. Shares of First Solar have been on a run in recent months, up more than 138% since mid-June, Brian. They got bigger. They got to join the big boy index. The other yep. one got smaller. It moves down to the Peter Brady index. There you go. Silvana <laughs> there Hanel. you go. Thank, thank you very much. You got it, Brian. Or Jan. Or Jan. It's fine. Thank you. All right. We are just getting going on this busy Tuesday. We've got a lot more to do. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, much more on that arrest of Sam Bankman Freed. We're going to speak with one former federal prosecutor now on what happens next and what's at stake. Plus, call it a CPI playbook. What J.P. Morgan's traders say stocks are likely to do in every inflation data scenario. You are going to want to hear that. And later on, your morning RBI. And we are going to look into the $130 billion to, quote, reopen schools, how much of that money has actually been spent, and where it's going. You're going to want to hear this, especially if you're a parent. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? 
Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back. Well, today and maybe the rest of the year for stocks is going to be all about the Fed and inflation data. Now, the Consumer Price Index coming out at 8.30 this morning, and the Fed will make its call on interest rates tomorrow at 2 p.m. Now, in the meantime, J.P. Morgan's trading team has come up with a number of market scenarios and outcomes based on how that CPI number comes in. Are you ready? Here we go. All right. According to J.P. Morgan, if the CPI comes in above 7.8%, the S&P is crushed. It could fall 4 to 5%. A hot number, bad for stocks. If the CPI comes in between 7.5 and 7.7, still bad. The S&P 500 could fall 25 to 3.5%. Okay, those are the two bad scenarios. Now to the good laid out by J.P.M., if the CPI lands between, say, 7.2 and 7.4, the S&P 500 could actually gain 2 to 3%. Look at that. They're leaving no margin of error. One-tenth of 1%. Market's moving 2 4% either way. If the CPI falls between 7 and 7.2%, markets would rally 4 to 5%. And check this out. If that inflation data comes in, well, I shouldn't say cold, Cold compared to where it was, under 6.9% annualized. JP Morgan's traders think the SP could rally 8 to 10%. Wow. JP Morgan also notes that last scenario would likely be the end to the bear market. So, a huge number of possible market moves based on just tenths of a percent differences in that inflation data. Wow. Truly remarkable. Again, that number. Out at 8.30. In the meantime, let's welcome in Anna Hahn of Wells Fargo Securities, no doubt thinking much longer term than just what happens today or tomorrow. Anna, we know that. But how much does what happens today with the inflation data and the Fed tomorrow impact you and your team's market thinking? I think it certainly is an important data point. Uh, as you laid out before, there are quite a few scenarios in which we could see how CPI print comes in today. But keep in mind, this is a big economic headline data number. So to see such wide variance is generally unlikely, but we are always prepared for every case. So right now, consensus, I think, is around 7.3%. Anywhere in around that, I think the market will be relieved, and that relief can be expressed in terms of a brief market rally. Uh, as we saw, consensus is for the Fed to hike 50 basis points tomorrow. So as long as we get somewhere in the ballpark, then the market will kind of take that as a sigh of uh, or a reaffirmation of what they're hoping to see. And, you know, equities, we certainly 
certainly like certainty. So we're hoping for that uh, mid-range, that sweet spot, and for equities to get that Santa Claus rally. Well, speaking of mid-range, I saw your price target for the end of the year next year. And, well, it's, it's actually positive. You're, you, you guys are forecasting a gain, actually. Many, many now have a decline for the year, up mid-single digits. So nobody's getting rich next year, but at least you see the market ending higher. But you also believe in the first part of the year we could drop. How come? I think a big part of the drop in the beginning of next year is that right now we think that yields have come down a little too much here, uh, particularly nominal yields. When you look, they've retreated quite a bit from where they were near 4% to now more like 3.6% on the 10-year. That's quite low to us. We think that can drift back up towards 4% for the beginning or the start of next year. And as we get that in first quarter or second quarter, that itself with yields, they weigh on equities just due to the fundamentals of how future earnings get discounted. And especially with the S&P 500 being mainly a growth-oriented index, for example, the weight of the tech sector being almost 40%, count media and communication nearly 50%, uh, that can still have some headwind. So we think on the downside, particularly with yields moving higher and credit spreads could also see a little bit of widening that could weigh on the markets. You can see some volatility there and the S&P 500 could go down up to 10%. Yeah, and I love your you're referencing the weighting of certain sectors. We call it market structure and we've been talking about its importance for so long. Anna Hahn of Wells Fargo Securities, really appreciate you coming on. Have a fantastic day and a good holiday season. We'll see you soon, Anna. Thank you. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the new price tag that is being attached to one of Elon Musk's companies that is not named Twitter or Tesla. Wex is back after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, time now for your Tuesday RBI. And today we're going to get random but interesting about something that every parent of a school-age kid should be paying attention to, and that is school spending coming out of the pandemic. Because you no doubt heard a lot in March of last year about the $130 billion to, quote, reopen schools. You probably heard it every day, multiple times, and just assumed, like many would, that $130 billion of your tax dollars was urgently being spent to get your kids back into the classroom. Well, like much from Washington, that is not exactly the case. In fact, here are some things you may not have known about the money to reopen schools. First, there's really five broad categories that school districts are allowed under the plan. It's called ESSER 3 to spend on, including academic intervention, physical and mental health, that's key, staffing and retention. Facilities and operations and technology are also in those groups. Now, many of those are important, but where might the money actually be spent? Well, Burbio does a great job tracking this kind of data, and here's what they have shared with us. The planned spending from schools goes like this. 
about 27% for academics and learning loss. That's among the school districts they surveyed. A little less that money for staffing and about the same for facilities and operations. The rest is going to be divided up. But here's what parents need to know. These categories are very broad with lots of room for school district interpretation. For example, Burbio looked through some school spending plans and found a few things that kind of stuck out to them around America. For example, a school district in Illinois spent a bunch of money to reopen a swimming pool and then changed their mind and decided to spend more money to then turn it back into a locker room. On Long Island, a district bought security cameras and an outdoor refrigeration unit with their money. <coughs> and one district in Connecticut actually cut some employee salaries but are spending more on outside consulting services. Again, just a few examples, but is this where you'd think the money to reopen schools would have been spent? It should go to things like more teachers, higher pay, and making sure millions of kids who may have lost a year or two worth of learning are able to make that up so they are not left behind. And here's the most random but important thing of all. Notice we said planned spending by the districts. That is because most of the money to reopen schools has not been spent and may not be spent for years. Burbio found about 70% of the money has yet to be spent, and schools have until September of 2024 to use it, <coughs> excuse me, or allocate it. You heard that right. Not next year, 2024, and some may extend past that. Remember, this is your taxpayer money and your kids to reopen schools in the spring of last year. For the kids and the educators, keep an eye on that money in your local district because nobody else might. All right ahead, former Fed Governor Robert Heller is here on today's CPI print. And whether the central bank is really ready to take its foot off the rate hike gas pedal, we will be right back. Sam Bankman-Fried is now in custody. He has been arrested in the Bahamas. American authorities working on extradition. We are going to lay out the next moves in what could be one of the most important financial crime investigations ever. It's Inflation Tuesday with the latest read on prices coming in just three hours. And they could move stocks in a big way either way. And that critical inflation read coming as the Federal Reserve kicking off its final policy meeting of the year. Former Fed Governor Robert Heller is here can't miss insight all on this Tuesday, December 13th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Get right now to your money. Things are looking pretty good. Stock futures, they are in the green right now. Had a nice rally across the board yesterday. All the major averages up more than 1%, and we are seeing Dow futures with a little bit of a follow-through on that. S&P, NASDAQ, and Dow futures all higher. All right, let's get you started this half hour with some of the key headlines that are happening now, including that breaking news around the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried. Silvana now is here with that and more. Silvana. Hey, Brian, I'm back. And here's what FTX founder and former CEO Sam Bankman-Fried has been arrested in the Bahamas. This at the request of the U.S. Attorney General for the Southern District of New York. The arrest coming just one day before he was scheduled to testify before the House Financial Services Committee. Now, while the AG's indictment will remain sealed until later this morning, early reports suggest the charges against SBF 
could include wire fraud, wire fraud conspiracy, securities fraud, securities fraud conspiracy, and money laundering. Separately, the SEC says it plans to file civil charges against Bankman Free today as well. SpaceX is reportedly offering to sell insider shares at a price that would raise the company's valuation to about $140 billion. According to Bloomberg, Elon Musk's company is offering the shares for $77 apiece. The report adds that it could not be determined whether SpaceX is aiming to raise capital in a primary funding round at that valuation. And shares of Oracle popping on the back of second quarter results. The software maker beating on the top and bottom lines with Oracle CEO citing strength in cloud infrastructure and cloud-based applications for the results. But Oracle's earnings guidance for the current quarter coming in slightly lower than analyst estimates, Brian. Yeah, the stock doing okay in the pre-market. It is. Up 2%. Savannah, thank you very much. You got it, Brian. Have a great day. All right. Well, outside of earnings, the Federal Reserve beginning its final policy meeting of the year today. Their decision comes tomorrow afternoon, along with updated economic projections all the way out to 2025, the so-called dot plots, as well as the news conference by Fed Chair Jay Powell. Now, the big money is on a one half percent rate hike with the CME Fed watch tool putting the odds of that level of hike 50 basis points at 77 percent. Now, the Fed will have one final piece of economic data in hand before they begin their debate, and it's a big one. It is the November Consumer Price Index. The median forecast is for a 7.3% jump year over year. So-called core rate expected to increase by 6.1%. So when we get a rate hike tomorrow, does that mean that the rate hiking cycle is officially over? Maybe not. Morgan Stanley Wealth Management is out with a note saying, The Fed funds rate has historically peaked when the central bank raises that above its preferred inflation gauge. That is the core PCE. Now, that number is still running at just over 5%. Morgan Stanley says even the anticipated half percentage point hike this week might suggest the Fed does have more work to do. Let's get more insight from someone who has been in the trenches and in the room. That is Robert Heller, a former Fed governor and a CNBC contributor. Robert, great to have you on. Thanks for getting up early. Your expectations for the Federal Reserve tomorrow. I would expect uh, that the Fed will raise also at 50 basis points, unless the consumer price index will be really surprising, as you said. If the consumer price index is 7.5% or more, the Fed will have to continue to tighten very quickly. So, Another 75 uh, basis points should be on the table. But as I said, 50 is the most likely outcome. And also, if that hot, if that CPI number comes in hot, Robert, I would imagine that that January and February rate hikes could also be on the table. Absolutely. There will be more rate hikes. The uh, Fed funds rate is still below the uh, below the inflation rate. And it got, as you said earlier, it got to get above the inflation rate so that the Fed is really stepping on the brakes by having a tight uh, monetary policy. If we get a super soft CPI, and I I say super soft with air quotes, Robert, because under seven is still red hot historically, but it shows a distinct cooling trend. If we come in under 7%, what then? 
Well, the Fed will still raise by 50 basis points, I would expect. But then the future rate increases will be either postponed or will be smaller ones, 25 basis points or thereabouts. But there we're talking about next year. You know, we like to think of the Fed as kind of one single unit, obviously headed up by the chair, Jay Powell. But looking at all the speeches and covering all the speeches like we do, it does seem like there's there's maybe more dissent in the room than we think or know. How, how would you read this Fed? I think you're right, Brian. Uh, in the Federal Reserve FOMC committee, there are very diverse viewpoints uh, represented. And that's the purpose of the committee, to present all the different possible viewpoints. So you got one group that is pretty hawkish around Jay Powell at the present time. Maybe a third of the uh, FOMC members are part of that hawkish group. Then you got a group of guns around Leo Brainerd, the vice chairwoman uh, of the Federal Reserve, and some of the Biden appointees. They are more softish, uh, what you would call, uh, uh, not, not hawks, but uh, uh, Call them, call them, call them. Uh, pigeons? Pigeons, right. Ospreys, peregrines, then, <laughs> kestrels. Probably pigeons. I'm, go I'm going through every small bird of prey that I could think of, Robert. You caught me right as I went through my last one. And then uh, you got a bunch of people who can't decide, who are still open-minded, maybe. Uh, another third of the FOMC. So together, Powell has done an excellent job over the last uh, couple of years uh, to bring these diverse viewpoints together mold a hopefully unanimous opinion to show that the Federal Reserve is of one mind in pursuing its policy. Yeah. Do you, do you think, Robert, that behind closed doors, in that room or virtual, however they do it, somebody says, you know, Jay, I, I get your point on inflation, but should we worry about crashing the American economy in this inflation fight? Do you think they discuss sort of how the overall economy and just day-to-day -day workers might fare? There's going to be a lot of job losses. Absolutely. And uh, I think a lot of that is already happening at the present time. Just a few days ago, the headlines showed that the tech industry has already laid off 140,000 uh, people. Those are most of them fairly high-paid people uh, that are leaders in their field. Uh, the big tech companies, uh, Amazon and uh, others, are already laying off people. So you see the foreboding of the uh, coming recession. And I would expect that this slowdown will hit in full force uh, probably early summer next year. Uh, April, May, June, that time period, yeah. we will see another recession coming. Okay, April, May, June, we're going to keep our eye on that and the Fed tomorrow. Robert Heller, really appreciate and value your insight. Thank you very much for getting up early and coming on. It means a lot. Thank you. Good to see you, Ryan. All right, good to see you as well. All right, coming up, much more on the breaking news on the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried and the next steps in what arguably could be one of the most high-profile dramas and trials ever. Stick around. All right, welcome back, and let's get back down to this morning's big breaking news, and that is FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried arrested in the Bahamas late yesterday 
possibly facing extradition to the United States. It's likely. The Attorney General's Office of the Southern District of New York says it will unseal its charges against Bankman Freed later this morning, as the SEC says it will announce its own civil charges today as well. A lot of unanswered questions. Let's bring in now former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti, someone with extensive experience in matters like these. Uh, Renato, good to have you on. What would you expect uh, the charges against Mr. Bankman Freed to look like? So I think you're going to see a wire fraud charge. Uh, if you uh, have seen any of the reporting, uh, you've seen, for example, that uh, FTX's customers were promised that their money uh, was uh, was held at FTX. And of course, that wasn't the case. I expect some securities fraud violations uh, related to the artificial inflation of the price of FTT, the FTX token. Uh, I also you know, expect to see potential money laundering charges as well. Yeah, the SEC, we're talking civil charges. Uh, again, kind of, are, you think, by the way, that the, the Southern District or the U.S. Attorney's Office, the SEC, are working together? Or are they going to conduct two completely separate uh, attempted prosecutions? That, that's right. So what, what generally happens, these cases are, occur in parallel. So what I expect to happen is uh, the SEC uh, filed a lawsuit. The, uh, the DOJ has, has an indictment. What will happen is uh, the, the SEC lawsuit will essentially be put on hold during the pendency of the criminal case. And uh, so Mr. Bankman-Fried uh, has to fight the criminal case. Uh, e even if he wins in the criminal case, then he has to uh, litigate against the SEC. Uh, you know, and more likely, if he's found guilty, uh, then you know, it'll be much easier for the SEC to prove its case afterward. Yeah, and, and I don't want to, you know, <clears throat> making correlations and whatever is a dangerous game because Mr. Bankman-Fried is innocent until found guilty or until, I guess, he confesses. And I bring that last part up because the Bernie Madoff trial, and I'm only making a comparison to that. I want to make it clear because that was another high-profile financial crimes trial. That moved extremely quickly because we often forget that Madoff wasn't caught. He confessed. His sons turned him in, and then he confessed. It was all kinds of cut and dried. Assuming Mr. Bankman-Fried, who looks like Renato, and correct me if I'm wrong, I have a law degree, but I'm not a lawyer, looks like he's setting up the sort of dumb businessman defense, right? I'm just bad at business. I'm not a crook. Assuming he goes down that path, how long could this take? Years? It could take years if he wants to stretch it out. In other words... You know, most defendants don't want to rush to get their speedy trial that the Constitution uh, gives them. Uh, they want to take their time. They want to delay. They want to prepare a defense. This is a complicated case. There'll be a lot of discovery and documents that will be produced to his uh, lawyers, whoever they end up being. So I expect this to take some time. I wouldn't expect a trial probably until 2024, early 2023 at the, at the very earliest, but I doubt that'll happen. And, and yeah, I think that's exactly the defense that he's trying to set up. I was incompetent. I was inattentive. I'm not a fraudster. I'm just, you know, very, uh, very inattentive and incompetent. Uh, I don't think it's very compelling, but it's it's a defense that we've seen before. The problem for Mr. Bankman-Fried, he's talked to every uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry he possibly could, and you know, confessed. Uh, his uh, views and, and locked himself into a story which will make his lawyer's life very, very difficult. 
Yeah, and you know, I <clears throat> it was a thinking yesterday, Renato, when when I saw the news and he was arrested. He was supposed to testify before a House congressional hearing today. Now that would likely be under oath. So I was thinking, and and this is going to sound weird, but tell me if you think it is weird, that in the grand scheme of being arrested, being arrested the day before you go under oath before Congress may not have been the worst timing for Mr. Bankman-Fried because it will prevent him from testifying under oath where, if he slips up, he may perjure himself and make it worse. All in, would you agree that kind of good timing on his part to be arrested? He was going to be arrested anyway. We knew that. To be arrested yesterday before having to appear before Congress. Yeah, I think that that's that's fair a fair point. I you know I don't know why the uh, Justice Department didn't wait until after that testimony. I will say that uh, Mr. Bankman Freed uh, was answering very tough questions on a daily basis. You know, I would go on Twitter Spaces every single day. It seemed like and see that Mr. Bankman Freed was. Uh, you know, uh, conducting an interview and, and answering I mean, incredibly incisive, difficult questions, usually stumbling all over himself, having trouble providing cogent answers. Here's the thing, whether under oath or not, every word that Bangman Freed said is going to be admissible against him at trial. Yeah. All those recordings. But does that, we're not a, we, Sorry to sorry to jump in, but we, we're getting cut off. I want to ask, but does that kind of mumbly, you know, stumbly type presentation, could that go to help him again to that bad businessman defense? Oh gosh, I'm just kind of a an awkward, you know, young adult, you know, whatever, and I'm just not good at business. And oh, gee whiz, I'm just not. I'm smart, but I'm not smart at business. And gosh, I didn't mean to do anything. You know where I'm going with that? A hundred percent. Here's the funny thing about the federal rules evidence. Any pieces of his statements that are helpful to him, he is not allowed to introduce because they're hearsay. He has to take the stand himself. But the government can use his statements against him because they're his opponent and they're admissions against him. So the government can pick and choose the statements that are the most damaging to him and only play those. Uh, so really, uh, you know, what I think that the problem is, he's going to hear the greatest hits of all his mess ups and all his foibles from yeah. his statements. And then they're going to play that in contrast uh, with his, you know, you know, persona that he tried to portray, of course, before this collapse, which is very, very different. Renato Mariotti, really great insight. I have a feeling we're going to talk again. This is going to go on for like, I don't know, years. Renato, thank you. Have a great day. All right. On deck, invest investors bracing for possibly the double whammy of the CPI and the Federal Reserve. Aaron Gibbs and Malcolm Etheridge, both here to lay out a critical couple of days for you to stick around. All right, welcome or welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up, a new segment where we've got six stories you might have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock Eastern time hour. Here we go. Twitter is disbanding its Volunteer Trust and Safety Council just days after three prominent members of the group resigned over concerns around Elon Musk's leadership. Goldman Sachs considering cutting hundreds of jobs at its consumer business. According to reports, the potential move comes as Goldman plans to scale back its Main Street banking ambitions. The Wall Street Journal reporting three senior VMware executives are leaving the enterprise software company. The exits come as Broadcom's bid to buy the company rolls on. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is proposing extending the government shutdown deadline by one week. 
Lawmakers are expected to pass a short-term extension to give negotiators more time for a full-year funding deal. And the Financial Times reporting that Amazon is delaying start dates for some college graduates set to join the company next year. The report says the move is part of cost-cutting efforts. And finally, Ticketmaster says it will give some Taylor Swift fans another chance to get tickets to her upcoming <clears throat> Eras tour after millions faced technical difficulties last month when tickets initially went on sale and parents out there pulling their heads their hair out spending tens of thousands of dollars on concert tickets. All right, let's step outside of Taylor Swift and talk more about trading in the markets ahead and get some ideas we barrel toward the new year. Let's bring in now Aaron Gibbs, Chief Investment Officer at Main Street Asset Management, and Malcolm Etheridge, Executive VP at CIC Wealth. Aaron and Malcolm, uh, welcome to both of you. Malcolm, I'll begin with you. Your take on the Fed, the CPI, and just basically the next couple of weeks and where we go. Morning, Brian. Uh, I'm not sure just how much today's CPI is actually going to have uh, bearing on what Powell comes out and says tomorrow, because I have to imagine that they've already had uh, quite by they, I mean, Powell and his uh, and his governors, they've already had quite extensive conversation, both in public and also behind the scenes and probably very late at night, one on one, uh, when folks are texting and calling him to have the last word in the room before it's all said and done. And so I think the markets feel very fragile right now is the word that I would use. So much hinges on what Powell has to come out and say on Wednesday. And so far, the data showing signs that inflation is cooling, which investors are reading as an indication that the Fed's going to ease up on rate hikes. But it just seems like uh, we're so hanging on a thread here, uh, waiting on what Powell comes out and says, that we're not really going to have any idea what direction the market's yeah. going to move until we get this behind us. You know, Aaron, <clears throat> excuse me, I was in uh, Europe last week where, they, you know, I came back just sensing the people there were in pretty rough shape. I mean, they, nobody was optimistic. A lot of giant recession fears there, given what they're facing. And I kept back thinking, like, man, we're so obsessed with inflation. I get it. And the Fed, shouldn't we be more focused on a possible recession in Europe and or here? I mean, isn't that kind of the point? Yeah, I think that is becoming much more at the forefront. And we've seen just in the past uh, five to eight trading days where we, we see people being a little more triggered by macro data that reflects refresh, uh, recession possibility versus inflation. I think but now just looking, you know, you just showed the CPI chart. We've had five months of it coming down slowly. I know it's not soon enough for some people, but it is definitely on the downtrend. And now, obviously, the real fear is can the Fed navigate this? And are we able to come out of this without a severe recession? And I think the, some of the news around companies either uh, in the hiring freeze and also stopping letting go of people, particularly in the tech sector, um, is a real concern. So seeing weakness in wage growth, seeing weakness in job openings, that's something that I think the markets are really going to be keying on to into 2023 versus being concerned about every single detail within the CPI report. Yeah, that's it, Malcolm. <clears throat> and if we, if we have a slowdown next year, which is likely, maybe we have a technical recession next year. We can debate that all day long. We'll have to wait and find out. How, what does that do to the equity market, or is that recession and or significant slowdown, whatever you want to call it, is that already priced in? In other words, has this lousy year for most stocks 
Is that the result of what people are looking at nine and 12 months from now? Yeah, I, I get where you're going, Brian. I think we're actually closer to the end of this than we are to the beginning. And I know that's uh, kind of the obvious, but the sentiment out there is so negative right now that I think it bears uh, repeating just because once we get to a place where capitulation, that, that C word uh, has come in and everybody you talk to is negative on the markets, that's usually a very good indication and uh, a rear looking uh, spot where we look at the graph and say that was the point where we turned the corner. I really feel like we're already there. And what we do also know to be true is that the S&P tends to turn positive four or five months before the broader economy starts to show uh, uh, signs that it's improving. And so this could be that inflection point that we're talking about where the markets have already started to turn and all of the bad news that we could possibly get related to this economy has already been sort of wrung out of the rag, if you will. And now we just need to suddenly see ourselves turn more positive on the markets um, and start to buy back turning into the first quarter of next year, which I do think is very likely. Well, <clears throat> let's talk about another C word, and that is consumer, because Aaron, you know, and end on an optimistic note and get some pics from you guys. I'll tell you what, you guys all probably travel a lot. I've been living at the airport lately, and there's a lot of concern about slowdowns in spending on Amazon and department stores. I get that. There doesn't seem to be a slowdown in spending on travel and experience. Maybe people are not buying stuff because they want to go places, Aaron. The number of people going through a TSA pre-check two days ago was the same level as it was pre-pandemic. In other words, it's all packed. Planes are packed. Hotels are packed. I'm assuming that's why you think booking holdings may be a good bet for our audience. Yeah, so when you look at profit expectations for 2023, because obviously we're getting really close now, uh, right now across the S&P 500, it is almost all negative revisions where most sectors, most industries are coming down and S&P 500 has come down from about 5% to 4.5% on profit growth expectations, so really contracting. The one area, the one industry where we're actually seeing revisions upward and very stable uh, is hotels and resorts uh, for next year, looking at about 138% profit growth. Now, that sounds amazing. Obviously, it's coming off the of lows. But more importantly, the fact that it's, it's being able to hold that yeah. expectation out of the other 90% of companies out there, I think, is something that is really said for, for going forward into next year. Now, so even though we may be in a very macro environment for quite some time and we're all worried about what the Fed says and, and lots of macro indicators, looking just back to fundamentals, I think this is one yeah. area that you can feel very safe in going into next year. All right, Malcolm, we apologies. We don't have time to get into Microsoft, your pick, but I have a sneaking suspicion we will see you again soon. And we do appreciate it to both of you. Malcolm Etheridge, Aaron Gibbs, thank you both very much. Have a great day, guys. Thanks. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. we got a lot more on this developing Sam Bankman free to rest story as well. Stock futures, they are up. Oil is up. We're glad you're up with, with, with us. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. 
From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 